This question is inspired by the mail that I got today, which is my Target exclusive edition of ABBA's new mm-hmm. album. Yes. So it's a it's a alternate cover art which has the avatars on it instead of like the weird eclipse art that is the main album art. And the vinyl is neon yellow. So it's Ooh. beautiful. Which That's inspires the question of if you could design a variant of any album, what album would you choose and what would it the package look like? God damn it. <laughs> All right, I'm just gonna go with the first album that comes to my head, which is Songs in the Key of Life. Okay. Because I've been listening to that quite a bit, and you will find out next week, folks, as to why. But I mean his art is good. You know, it's, it's a very iconic album cover, and I do recognize that. It's interesting. But, you know, for me, it, it's not quite hitting my aesthetic, and that's fine. Not everyone has to agree to my, my aesthetic. But considering it's songs in the key of life, I imagine a big world. And mm. in that world, it's just music notes. Mm. And then you would open the vinyl, and it would be pressed music notes cut into so i imagine like a white disc Mm -hmm. with music notes pressed into it that'd be cool it'd be really cool if it matched up with the lines so it looked like music notes probably take way more planning than possible but it would be cool but it would be cool i mean if they can do picture discs right they could do that right so that's what i would say mine probably it will never happen because it requires the original version of taylor's album speak now Mm -hmm. taylor swift's album speak now but I've been listening to it today because I'm putting myself on a self embargo of not listening to red until Taylor's version comes out on Friday. Yeah. Um, but the original cover, the there's the, the original cover with her purple dress and then they made it a red dress for the deluxe edition. But for my version, it would be the original cover with the purple dress, um, double edition, still be the deluxe edition CD, but the original cover, but the vinyl, it has to be, you pull it out and the base pl- like vinyl is just a translucent purple, but then you have a mm. dark purple splatter Ooh, in it. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. And then there's like slight glitter in it. Yes. And I want that so bad and it'll never happen. We'll probably get a purple variant for the Taylor's version release, but I want that cover to go with the purple. Yeah. That's all I've thought about all day as I listened to that album. That's a good idea. Yeah. So we're going to start a business for designing vinyl. Yes. She will rock you records. Yes. And yeah. That's what we were going to do. It sounds very expensive. But well, that's all right. You know, I'm about to sell my laptop to uh, Apple for $330. So what else can I scrounge around? <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's our capital startup right there. <laughs> I give you laptop. You give me $330 trade offer. I saw a great trade offer meme today. This has nothing to do with the show, but it said, I receive a new hyperfi- new obscure hyperfixation. You receive a bunch of posts that don't make any sense. And I was like, it's me. Ah, that's <laughs> hilarious. It's literally me on Twitter. Uh, anyway. From both accounts. Yeah. From, really, both ac- from both accounts. I'm Leah. I'm Bethann. And this is She Will Rack You. Where did they get in a dump in a CPS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haunt you, let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rack You. Hit us with the review. We got a new-ish review. Um, 
probably should have read it last time, but we had a lot of shit to cover last time. We did. We're a little bit more relaxed tonight. Yeah. Uh, this is from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Great username. Yes. Uh, this is a review. I don't think we said that. Uh, and it says, God must be on my side because I stumbled upon y'all and now oh. I'm actually binge listening. These girls know what they're talking about and basically are a clash between fangirls and 80s rock and roll groupies. I love. Okay. Oh, sorry. Were you done? There's there's more. Please go. Please Keep go. it up, guys. I'm so looking forward to what else you'll be putting out. That's it. Awesome. So the fact that she started with God must be on my side, ego just went. (laughs) (laughs) We are such a fantastic show that it was put into her life by divine intervention. I mean, how does the ego not get inflated by that sentence? Every time we get a review, my ego gets a little bigger. (laughs) So please keep leaving us reviews. Yes. Please continue to stroke our egos. Thank you. Uh, That's it. We have no business to discuss other than... um, Stay tuned for a fun bonus episode next week. Yes. Something new that we are experimenting with. If it goes well, because we haven't recorded it yet, we hope to bring it back. So yes, we do. There's your little teaser for content to come. Mm-hmm. And then in December, we mentioned this in one of our interviews. Yeah, if, if you don't listen to the interview episodes, we are pausing interviews in December just because of the holidays. Your girl needs a break. I'm moving, you know, general life chaos. Um, We probably will do a bonus uh, concert recap. Yes. We are going to go see Glimmers. We are? Uh, I can. I have to buy my ticket. Buy your ticket. I forgot to do that. I need to do that. We're going to go see Glimmers, which we interviewed Maggie last year. It's like our baby's growing up and going to fight China. We're going to get to see for the first time, other than the Struts, because I had seen them before we interviewed them, but... A band that we interviewed live, which is very weird. I am so excited. And I might cry. So, yeah. Um, But also in December, I am going to go see Mr. Wives, which I'm so excited for as Mm -hmm. well. So. And then I'm going to go see In This Moment on the 17th. Yes. Very, very excited for that show because I hear they put on like one hell of a show. But we will have a a bonus coming out very soon with a Des Rocks and In This Moment recap. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, that's gonna be the november one so yeah well you'll still get your normal episodes in december because we're still gonna do those snow bonus just snow yeah we, we need a little bit of a break while the holidays and moving and yes in general i'll probably be watching netflix most likely great british baking show and reading a book we are making which i started halfway when i went camping <laughs> we're making sure we install internet two days after we close in this house so like we can still watch Netflix and shit. That's priorities. It is priorities. You have to watch all the Christmas stuff. Yes. I may not have a couch, but I'll have a TV hooked up to the you, internet. You got a dog. <laughs> you got a large animal. Just sit on Jarvis. <laughs> it's he's what warm. That's what he's made for. All he does is loaf around anyway. This is true. Anyway, what are we talking about today? We, as I pull up the laptop. So this artist has a little bit. Of something for everybody. Leah, what's your password? Just go ahead and say it in the... <laughs> it's Jarvis. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and please tell me that's not the password to your other no, account. No, it's the only, the, the only only the password to my laptop because sometimes people at work have to log into it and I didn't want it to be the same password yeah, as everything else. That's true. But it's easy enough that like people can spell it. Yeah. Well, I'm leaving it in there. So, you know. It's okay. Now you know, folks. Hot off the press. How to get into my laptop. So this story has something for everyone. 
it has some great stories about overcoming some witty and funny stories and then some genuine warm and fuzzy stories which is very unusual for I was me to cover. Say, is this like a happy episode? I literally wrote this and I'm like, this should have been Leah because she's the one who pulls the warm, fuzzy stories. Oh, don't worry. We're going to have a wild fucking episode next. So We, we flipped. We flipped <laughs> this one and it confused me. But to be fair, I was going to cover Doobie Brothers and they're probably not going to get covered unless I run out of stuff. And it's really no fault to the band. It's just very confusing to fall it's just a lot and there's like it's both confusing there's not a lot going mm-hmm. on so i personally don't know if it makes good episode material but eh, who knows maybe they'll be in a bonus episode it might be point. a bonus episode i might be saving them for like a mini sode if we ever yeah. do it with like a muses style episode yeah. but anyway so i kind of chose carly simon because she was on the wiki page and i was like cool let me click this and then i was reading i'm like that seems more interesting than what i'm when i originally was planning um, but most importantly, we are here to cover Carly Simon because I want the deets for You're So Vain. Ah. But before we get to that tea, I am going to put just a tiny little trigger warning because we talk a little bit about sexual abuse, but that's really it. And it's only one little section. But let's go ahead and talk about her upbringing. So Carly Elizabeth Simon was born in the Bronx on June 25th, 1945. Her dad co-founded a publishing company called Simon and Schuster. What? The pub- the book publishing company? Yes. A little a little business. Um and he also played some piano on the side. I okay, I get the impression from interviews I've watched that like her parents were kind of like very strict on her and didn't really celebrate her like I would say for a child like for example according to um, a Guardian article I was reading about her memoir book in the uh, boys in the trees Carly was supposed to be a boy so to speak and be the successor to the empire but and they were going to name her Carl and then they're like, oh, let's just put a Y on it. And like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that you did that. Like, it seems sexist. It's sexist. Like, choose a different name. You yeah. know? But may- maybe she loves her name. I don't know. For me, though, I just don't like that don't happened. Like um, her mom was a civil rights activist and a singer. Um, but like I said, her mom was a little bit harsh as well. And like, Carly knew her mom loved her, but she didn't like praise her daughter for her achievements like she won this really big award later in her career and her mom was like others deserve to win but you won it and it was like the fuck yeah but anyway that's skipping way ahead so um there were some events in her childhood that brought her to seek refuge in music um at seven she was sexually assaulted by a teenager who was a close family friend and then at eight, she developed this severe stutter from, I'm assuming, the trauma yeah. of that event. And like a psychiatrist tried to help her overcome it. And the only way that she was able to ever overcome her stuttering was through music and songwriting. Because in her view, she could write the stammers in mm. if she wanted to. It was her own music. So that was really a stepping stool for her to start overcoming it. Um, in 1964, her first dabble into venturing into music full-time was with her sister, Lucy, and they were called the Simon Sisters. Cute. 
They were mildly successful and had three albums, Meet the Simon Sisters, Cuddlebug, and the Simon Sisters sing The Lobster Quadrilli and other songs for children. What? What What does Lobster Quadrilli? I don't know. I probably, you know, I probably pronounced it wrong. It was Q-U-A-D-R-I-L-L-E. Eh, close enough. Quadrilli. You know, I'm adding a little fragile quadrilli. Fragile. Yeah, just adding a little Italian schmooze all over it. <laughs> um, but if you can't tell by the titles, I am guessing that it's basically like children type music. Yeah. And she does a lot with like children entertainment later on in her career. So that makes sense. That that's the foundation. And also, I mean, we are in the 60s, so it's hard to say if it wasn't for individuals under the influence of LSD. But who knows? Children, LSD adults, you be the They're judge. They're the same thing. It, really, they are. <laughs> <laughs> you just call up your mom. Mom, I saw this picture of a woman and Lucy and her in the sky was in diamonds. Shut up. You're 38 years old. <laughs> um, but anyway, so after the, their third album was released in 1969, I think they were going up to like four or five years, right around there, um, her sis- sister Lucy would leave to go get married and then she had like a little minor career went on broadway all that stuff um but when these albums were printed they were printed in small inventories like four thousand total and you find that with some of her stuff like oddly these things some of some of her albums from what i read like there's one we're going to talk not talk too much about but there's one called the bedroom tapes and they only printed like a thousand of this or like a lot of her stuff goes out of print which i think is interesting that is interesting um and unfortunately those masters from the simon sisters were lost in the 08 universal fire damn fire which we will talk about and probably mention as a cliff note for the duration of this podcast it's one of the three things we got to cover are they on the 500 greatest albums did they go platinum did they burn up in the fire absolutely (laughs) it's one of the three um, so after her sister leaves, she goes and does a stunt with a group called Elephant's Memory. This band fascinates me. So they were based in Greenwich Village, um, area of New York, and they just happened to form an alliance with John Lennon and Yoko Ono, and they like backed their project. Um, so I, I was reading the wiki page for it. So basically John Lennon and Yoko after the Beatles and all that stuff, had a group called the Plastic Ono Band. Mm-hmm. And it featured artists such as Eric Clapton, Keith Moon, like they were just cycling through, George Harrison and Ringo Starr, but not Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to sip the tea on that in a future Beatles episode, it's, but we must, we must wait. It's because Paul's dead. Well, I mean has nothing to do with the fact that Yoko broke up the band. No. It's because Paul's dead. It's because Paul's dead. Um, but anyway, while performing live with them, because um, then they like backed them up for this one album, they went under the name of Plastic Ono Elephant's Memory Band. And then this album they released was called Sometime New York City. The album was credited as, I don't know why I find this funny, John and Yoko slash plastic ono band with elephant's memory plus invisible strings that's a mouthful it is i'm surprised i got it out considering my speech impediments sometimes um and also a very random fact that i just found mildly entertaining um john and yoko would be carly simon's neighbor 
later in life and would be like the first people to give her newborn son a gift. Aww. So I think that's pretty cool. So anyway, she was only with Elephant's memory though for like six months, I think. And then she would work her way to becoming solo. So the story goes, one day, her friend and songwriting collaborator, Jacob Brackman, he organized a dinner party. And at that party was a manager named Jerry Brandt. And shortly after meeting him, he takes her on as a client, introduces her to Jack Holzman from Electra Records, and she signs on with them in 1970. And at first, like, Carly thought I'm just going to be a stock lyricist like that's it for the record label but and the some of the people the record label were like no you just be the singer and we'll find songs for you but something happened where she decided to step out there and put out a self-titled album in 1971 and the biggest hit off that album was that's the way I've heard it should be and it reached number 10 on the billboard 100 Pretty good for someone who thought they were just going to be a stock lyricist. Yeah. And um, so when the record company was ready to release the song, um, it, the song follows the story of a woman who had a rough upbringing, a zealous boyfriend who wanted to get married but was controlling, and the resistance of this woman, yet the acceptance mm. of her life and matrimony. And the record label said... You think that's a little heavy for a first single? Nah, I think it's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but that's what I love about Carly's songwriting. Like, from the pieces I've heard, she's just one of the first, like, indie-style songwriters that explores, like, hard truths with this almost shroud of mystery. Like, it's very Dolly Parton-esque. Mm-hmm. Telling a story, yet pulling from your heart and telling a truth. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, so in regards to the song, Carly said, when I first wrote it, I thought it was an unusual thing for people to break up. And now all my friends are divorced. I'm going to cut this out. But that's why you when you were telling me about <laughs> kind of cracking up because I was like, there's a quote for this. All the friends are getting divorced. <laughs> you can leave that in. You want me to leave it in? Not what you said, but what I said. Oh, what you said? Yeah, okay. there you go. Um, so the album did pretty well critically uh she would i go, should probably clear if you leave that in it's gonna sound like i'm getting divorced i'm not getting divorced <laughs> no we I'm, just have friends that are getting divorced i'm gonna take cross out their names okay i'll probably i don't know i'll do so many but i won't throw them under the you bus don't throw me under the bus either i'm not getting divorced no <laughs> i will not do that um so she would go on to win best new artist at 1972 grammys as well as nominated for her song that's the way I've always heard it should be. So because this is the 70s, of course she came out with another album in the same year. This one's called Anticipation. And this one has a little bit more success. Mainly her song Anticipation got airplay in a series of Heinz commercials. Which like the ketchup? Yeah, the ketchup. <laughs> so here's the commercials. Literally, like there's a series of them. And it's just like, for example, one of them that comes to mind, this boyfriend comes to the house to pick up the girlfriend and, you know, a little annoying brother is like, oh, she's getting ready. Why don't you come and have a hamburger? And literally, like, he takes on the top, like, yeah, oh, make sure you use Heinz. And he's like, cool. And then they start, like, pouring the bottle. The glass and it's bottle. Take, yeah, the glass bottle is taking forever to come out. And that's when the song comes on. Anticipation patient is about waiting for that drop of Heinz and I hated it it I didn't age well like like 
ketchup coming slowly out of a bottle is the worst thing that could happen <laughs> today. This, I mean, we we jumped past that. We now have bottles that you store so the cap is on the bottom, so you just have to go squish. Yeah. We have evolved. But also, who's eating a burger before they go on a date where they're most likely getting dinner? Like, this is just a very not well thought out commercial. No, exactly. <laughs> and why is she taking so long that you could eat a hamburger? It takes me five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it, you know, it's fine. It was the 70s. They were thinking the most cliche niche. Pop, pop, fizz, fizz. Yeah, exactly. Um. Anyway, so... The song, Anticipation, fun fact, was written in 15 minutes as she waited to go on a date with Cat Stevens. <laughs> but not with hamburgers. Not with hamburgers. You know, I wonder if they had a hamburger. Maybe. Wouldn't that be something? They were going, they Full were going to go eat at a diner, and she gets a hamburger, he gets a pastrami, and then she's pouring on the ketchup, and then they go catch a movie. And that ketchup took forever to come out. Gosh, when they make when they make the movie version of her life... I hope they put that in there. They can have it for free. They don't even have to. They don't have to give me royalties. Um. Anyway, as far as for accolades for the album, uh, it went gold, and the song "Anticipation" was nominated for a Grammy in 1973. So, how does she take this moderate success and become the queen of obscurity? Insert Dr. Frankenfurter. I can see you shiver with anticipation. <laughs> I was hoping you'd make that joke eventually. I was really happy once I heard that the album was Anticipation. You knew I had to throw yeah. it in there at some point. So first, let's talk about the album the song is featured on. Her third album is called No Secrets and was released on November 16th, 1972. Hilarious, it's called No Secrets when I just call her the Queen of Obscurity. But anyway, moving on. Um, her Her first recording session um she tried to record with paul buckmaster but electra wasn't a fan of that setup so instead they had to record at trident studios which is where beatles recorded the white album david bowie recorded space odyssey and Alan john did his self-titled second album which is probably a better deal anyway probably uh the album did okay critically um like some of the critics they've always just kind of been like like I just get the impression like critics don't really understand her because of like especially like her rhyming scape and her storytelling techniques like most of her albums are usually just mildly well received and I just don't think they understand mm -hmm. but also critics don't really matter I'm just saying it's just interesting that they never really she never passed this threshold even though we really know her mm -hmm. but anyway um but commercially it did super well um, I don't have the initial release numbers because they're not really there. But in by 1997, it was certified platinum, which I think speaks for the album's longevity yeah. over the years. And then we get to the song, You're So Vain, which shot up to number one on the Billboard 100 and lasted for three weeks and was certified gold. Time to pour the tea. So... Up to this point, Carly has been in a bit of a journey with the music industry, i.e. a shit ton of sexism. We're talking about men expecting like sexual advances to further her career. And I love this quote from The Guardian, and I think it comes from her autobiography. Um, 
about an encounter she had with a producer from Columbia who was expecting those advances. And she said, quote, I assumed my most audacious look as if to say, if you're the kind of person who takes in an ornate pleasure in insulting women, well, distance yourself, asshole. <laughs> I love her so much. Um, but anyway, up to this point, she's kind of seen it all. And she said from, if I remember, like this song is just really about those experiences, just men in general. And, but you know, when you write the lyric, you're so vain, you probably think the song is about you. You know, something's up, but I love it because you will see her flip the script on these type of men and how she almost like she plays a cat and mouse game throughout this whole thing. And I love it so much. Um, so how the song was written, Carly is at a party and a friend said like a certain famous person walked in the room and she remember thinking like how vain that person was. So that was the start of it. She wrote it. She recorded it. Mick Jagger did uncredited backing vocals on the track. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but for numerous of decades, Carly would not say who the song was about, like for over 40 years. And I imagine it bothered the hell out of some people. And that's when people started getting into her personal life and like scouring each boyfriend is like, is this the one? Like they're looking for clues in the song. Overall, it doesn't seem like Carly minds it, but I just want to note, like we see how this type of behavior as far as for like other artists like people getting in their business has caused like a lot of detriment to their well-being. So in case you need a reminder, celebrities are allowed their privacy. They, especially female identifying individuals, don't owe you any details about their private life, whether they put it in a song or not. So let's just throw out that disclaimer before we yeah. <laughs> continue. But, but it got to the point where people were writing in their autobiographies the speculation of who the song was about. And they said they knew so-and-so who knew Carly or something like that. And it just shows you like how wild people got about who this mystery person was. So like there's a whole, like to kind of show you like the mystery of it, there's even like on her wiki page for that song, celebrities she has told in confidence off record. Like that is the obsession That's funny. over finding out who this person is. Um, they even did a fundraiser for charity <laughs> and someone paid $50,000 to find out who the song That's was dedication. about. That's dedication. Yeah. But he wasn't allowed to mention it. He, he's, oh, he's a, he signed several NDAs, yeah, I'm sure. A, a ton. So over the years, she has left cl little clues here and there. At first, she drops the letters that it's of an individual's name or what we assume. And that's A, E, and R. And I believe hearing that led to Warren Beatty giving her a call later on and thanking her for writing a song about him. Which, you know, fits a description of a vain person. He was delighted. But here is where I love Carly. Because she flips the script on him. So yes, in 2015, she confirmed the song is about Warren Beatty. Okay. But only part of it. It's actually about two other men. It's about three men in particular. And Warren Beatty 
is only about the second verse. Okay. So this whole time, you thought this whole song was about him. These men have thought the whole song is about him. Surprise. But it's about three. That's hilarious. <laughs> and I love it because the universe flips this. She flips the script, flips it on the universe. Now, it's ha- a self-fulfilling prophecy because they is. all thought the song was about them. It is. <laughs> it's genius. Like she's been playing a cat mouse game this entire time. Mm-hmm. And the best long haul game I have personally seen. And she does this twice. She does it here and she does it one at a time, which we'll talk about. Now, have the other two been revealed? No. Do I care? No. I'm sure one day when we get up there to the great unknown in the sky, we can look at whoever the hell created us and waste our one eternal question. Who are the other two men? <laughs> no, my question is who killed JonBenet Ramsey? But continue. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, Worm Beatty's going to get up there. <laughs> He's going to go... Who are the other two men? <laughs> and you know, it's a great way to waste your question. Your one eternal question. Yes. Your one eternal genie question to the the big thing in the sky. Anyway, also worth noting as my last part about this song, because I think it's worth mentioning. Um, the song actually has a lost verse that never made it into the original song. Is there a fourth man? <laughs> That's what I thought too, but... I mean, probably. Let's read it real quick. A friend of yours revealed to me that you loved me all the time. You kept it from your wives. You believed it was no crime. So this only made the pen and paper stage, but she sung it like in a documentary in 2017 for like the first time. Interesting. Yeah. We're going to say four men. It's four men. It's four men that it's about. And they're all so vain. They think it's about Yeah, them. the whole song's about them. Ah! I love it. So have you ever thought about what would happen if your airline window popped out? Or if you can build a jetpack using only machine guns? Well, we found out you could, but you really shouldn't. Hi, I'm Jill Chacha. And I'm Marissa Riley. Together, we have one comedy science show called, well, that's interesting. It's for folks who like to learn about weird stuff, like how hair can grow between your teeth and... What happens if the moon disappears? If you need a break from the world or need interesting stuff to bring up at a party when those happen again, come on by. Find Well That's Interesting wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So you guys know the drill. She has a lot of albums, like 18 or 20. That is a lot. It's a lot. We're not going to cover a lot of them. Um, partly because I'll be honest, her career just kind of does a lot of dips and turn, and it's just once you get to a certain point in some software and they're just releasing the same thing, there's not just much to cover at that point, yeah. but I'm going to give some highlights about the next albums of her seventies because the seventies are her time where she shines. And that is the main strip of her album career. I would say she has other career opportunities that start flourishing after this. Like a Lady Gaga situation. Mm-hmm. Lady Gaga's now killing it as an actor. Yes. Kind of thing. Um, so let me give you some highlights about these three albums. The first one's called Hot Cakes. It was a hit and it was on the charts for eight months. It was recorded when she was pregnant with her first child with spouse and fellow musician James Taylor. Um, we're not going to talk a lot about their relationship, but I'll give you some brief cliff notes 
They were married for about 10 years, had two kids together before splitting up. Um, a lot of their breakup had to do with drug addiction, mostly on James' side, but she had some drug issues as well. Um, Carly kind of describes it as like they were hard to blend, like a yin and a yang. Like it's just really hard for them to fully mesh together. But anyway, um, what I do like, though, is on Hot Cakes, they did a duet of the song Mockingbird, mm-hmm. which was also their first single. And I think that's really sweet. That's cute. It, yeah. When you're getting ready to have your first child. And the other hit was called Haven't Got Time for That Pain. Playing Possum had mixed reviews, but it did chart like on the top 10 pop charts for three weeks. Um, Carol King and Ringo Starr also had their hand in some of the backing tracks, which is really cool. I know like Rolling Stone in 1991 had this in their like top 500, I think. Um, but it's not there anymore. But and then finally, there is her album, Another Passenger, which contains the single It Keeps You Running. Not a whole lot is out about this album. It did chart, but it didn't reach the level of the past three albums. Um, one thing worth shouting out though is before we get to her next big album, which is called Boys in the Trees, she released a single called Nobody Does It Better, which was the theme song from the 1977 James Bond film, The Spy Who Loved Me. It's a banger of a song. It's been in my head for like about a week and you've probably have heard it even if you haven't thought you heard it. Like it's a very memorable Mm -hmm. tune once you hear it. Um, It was a smash hit and was like number two on the Billboard charts um, for three weeks. To this day, it is considered one of the best Bond songs. It came in at number three for Rolling Stone and number two for Billboard Billboard charts on their like top James Bond lists. Now, I want to go back to her sister for a second. So remember when I told you that she left due to marriage yeah probably true but i think there's another element to this story this is just so fascinating according to an article by the guardian about her memoir because like i said i decided to read her a week before i had to write this so i didn't have time to read the book so you're getting cliff notes and i'm sorry i'm not leah (laughs) i cannot read a 400 page book in three days (laughs) Literally impossible for me. Um, But anyway, um, The Guardian does a great job talking about it and talking in depth. So 1965, so early on in their career, they meet Sean Connery, and that's Carly and Lucy, on a ship. And things lead to another, and Carly is slow dancing with Sean as they discuss whether Prince Philip is circumcised. What What a topic. I guess that's what you talk about in the 60s. Then, did they cover that in the crown? (laughs) No. No, they skipped over that. (laughs) Then, Lucy somehow gets into Sean Connery's cabin at the end of the night. So, Carly's pissed, understandably. And the next day, she woke up and she said, one day, I'm going to sing a James Bond song. It was out of revenge. Vengeance. It was truly out of revenge. And guess what? She pulled off the second best That's amazing. long haul game. She's smart, man. She's smart and she's funny and she knows what she's doing. That's amazing. But 12 years later, 
She put out a James Bond song. Don't piss your sister off. No. And I'm sure like her and her sister patch things over. You know, these things happen. But, you know, because they kept singing afterwards. Um, so Carly didn't like write that song. It should be noted. She just sung it. But I, I think that helped the success of her next album, Boys in the Trees. Um, this album brought her back up after her career had dipped a little bit after another passenger. This was released in April, 1978. Also her sounds changing a little bit and she's infusing jazz and blues and it's a little bit more intimate. Um, it's pretty good. So like, for example, you really hear that in her, um, the biggest hit off that album, you belong to me, which reached number six on the pop billboard charts. It also was certified. The album itself was certified platinum. And like I mentioned, it's also the name of her memoir, which I think is really fitting since that album also has a pretty intimate feel to it. So I'm pretty sure that's why she chose that. Before we get to the rest of her career, I want to talk about something really fascinating. This is where the warm and fuzzies come in. She had a really great and unique friendship with Jackie O, JFK's wife. Mm Mm-hmm first lady so how they met was she was at an event jfk jr comes up to her i don't know how old he is i'm gonna assume he's a teenager maybe and asks would you like to meet my mom and she says sure and so um she goes up to jackie and jackie is an editor at this time because she went into publishing afterwards and so they're talking and She's like, you know, Carly, you should write a memoir. And she agrees. And she writes like 80 pages. And then she's like, can I just write a children's book instead? So she writes a children's book. Cute. And she like writes actually a couple children's books throughout her career. But they just develop this friendship. And, you know, all this is about Carly. I think it's just really sweet how she talked about her friend because she actually wrote a book in 2019 about her relationship with Jackie. And um, so she said Carly had permission around Jackie to be free. Um, And like she could smoke a joint in front of her and she like would not care. (laughs) (laughs) And um, like she thinks that Jackie loved her free spirit because they're like there's a little bit of an age gap. Mm -hmm. I think they're like 20 years apart. But loved her free spirit and like she had, you know, a little bit of a naughty girl side to her. And like Jackie could never be that. Yeah. She married the as Kennedys. Well, she married the Kennedy family at yeah. such a young age. And yeah, as a first lady, she, no freedom would be awarded to her in that role. So and then Carly saw her as a mother she never had and she never was judged by her. And... um when Carly, because she had a prescription pill addiction for a little bit, when she went into rehab, she would call Jackie every single day. Aww. And she said that Jackie loved her unconditionally and helped her through it. Um, one really funny story, it's not in my outlines, but also Jackie was also a prankster, which is really cool. You just don't see this side yeah, of Jackie. Yeah. You see Jackie O. The you president's know, wife. The president's wife. But she was actually a prankster. So she recorded, Carly recorded this song. I don't know who the guy's name is. Um, but this really, I guess, famous singer. And then the next day, she received, there was a box by her door. And she opened it. 
And it was from the guy she recorded with. And um, oh, and Jackie was in the room when they were recording. And the guy was like, Carly, I'm in love with you. Will you please be my Valentine? And he like had a copy of his his uh, tapes in there and it was signed and autographed. And she immediately called Jackie and she's like, oh, my gosh, so and so wants me to be their Valentine. And then Jackie goes, you really think that person did that? Jackie did it and like literally hid her handwriting. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. She I mean, it was really cool. Um, and then when uh, Jackie passed away in 1994, like Carly was by her bedside. Mm. Like they had a really sweet caring relationship. Mm-hmm. And it was just it's just really cool cuz you just don't see that as much, you know. Those really sweet friendships that are really good. Um so anyway, so for the 1980s and 1990s, her career takes an interesting turn and this is where we kind of like where I was talking about, you know, she has these albums, yes. But she has other ventures that she's involved in. So she's still putting out music, um children's books and music scores i'm assuming but she starts getting more into film scoring and actually writing music mm-hmm. for these movies um she did a little bit of it in the 60s um but she really makes a full shift to it i would i would say a full shift to it in the 80s um she helped like throughout her film score career so this is like 80s 90s and into the 2000s she would help compose like songs for and i chose these because I knew them. There's a lot of random 80s ones. I have no clue. One was called Soup for One. Who the fuck knows what Never it's about. Never heard of that. But um, these are the ones I kind of knew about. The Piglet's Big Movie. The Heffalump Movie. She's done three or four Winnie Aww. the Poohs. I love it. Karate Kid Part 2. And then Working Girl. Which won her an Oscar. And uh, this made her also, from Working Girl, made her the first person to win an Oscar, Golden Globe, and Grammy for the same song. Um, In the 2000s, 2010s, like I said, she's still like, really, she's just putting out albums. She's putting out children's stuff. She's putting out um, film scores and things like that, contributing to film scores. Um, We also see like some collaborations with other artists. I would call them collaborations. And one of my favorites was she went on stage with Taylor Swift and sung You're So Vain. And I know Taylor cites her as one of her influences. Mm -hmm. Um, James Taylor, too. So that's fun. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, she's named after James Taylor. Oh, that's true. That's interesting. Um, But I find it really cool um, considering that she, after listening to Carly, my first thought was like that very raw and intuitive way to storytell I recognized in Taylor. Yeah. Like I made the connection. So it's really cool. I love seeing connections come through. Yeah. In artists where you can see like it, you know, they you can see that same spirit that's in mm-hmm. them. And like it's almost like a mantle being passed, if you yeah, will. Yeah. Um, she also has been sampled by a variety of artists, um, which I consider a high compliment. Yeah. To name a few, Janet Jackson. Like, Janet Jackson pretty much took You're So Vain and made her own song out of it. Mm-hmm. Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson. And then there are some artists who covered her songs. Normal Ones First, <laughs> um, Kelly Clarkson, Julie Andrews, Mandy Moore, and then some random ones, Adam Sandler. <laughs> 
Foo Fighters. So Adam Sandler is the weird link between mine and yours episodes this week. No. Pin that. <laughs> we all, so it was the site after all that I site. chose Carly Adam Simon. Sandler. Um, who knew the site would lead us to Adam Sandler? So anyway, Adam Sandler, Foo Fighters, Radiohead, and Fred Astaire. Very random, but okay. Very random. Now, as far as for legacy, and this is a little bit of a shorter episode, um, but she had quite a successful career across many mediums. Um, Her awards and nominations really also reflected that success across those mediums. Like I mentioned, she won two Grammys, received 14 nominations, won an Oscar, a Golden Globe, and was nominated for two BAFTAs for original scores. And she also received recognition in the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Grammy Hall of Fame. And I would argue she's one of the most like diverse repertoires of artists that we've covered so far. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Carly's time and a little bit shorter than my other ones, but... It happens. It, you know, is what it is. Still a good story. Thanks for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you listen to podcasts that has a reviewing system. We're not picky. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website, shewarakyou.com. There you'll find links to our socials, all of our show notes, ways to contact us, and you can shop our merch store. We just added some new merch. It says, mm-hmm. don't do drugs. Get it for your grandma for Christmas. And they make great Christmas presents. Yes, they do. Um, and on that note, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs>